Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. From social media to meaningful growth in beer, my guest is Alyssa Hoper. She's the head brewer at Jagged Mountain Brewing in Denver. We're also going to talk about appropriate styles for brewery anniversaries, searching for positivity, and hard seltzer redemption. And we're going to get into it all in just a moment. But first, All About Beer is back online and producing original content for beer enthusiasts and professionals. Visit allaboutbeer.com to see the latest. And if you want to support us in that endeavor, we set up a Patreon for both readers and professional companies in the beer space. You can check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to learn more. And for more audio content, search All About Beer on your podcast platform of choice, and you can listen to the shows that are now available, including Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast. We're able to bring you this show each week, thanks to the companies that want to support independent journalism in the beer space. You can learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates just by emailing info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by New Holland Brewing. Did you know that the term dragon's milk has been around since the 17th century? It was used to describe potent ales and elixirs that were worthy of celebration, a reward at the end of a hero's journey. New Holland Brewing Company is proud to continue that tradition today with dragon's milk bourbon barrel aged stout, clocking in at a robust 11% ABV and featuring notes of roasted malt, chocolate, and vanilla. The legend of dragon's milk continues to grow and will raise a glass to that. Learn more and find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. We're also brought to you by Les Bon, a celebration of Cezanne, mixed fermentation beer, ciders, natural wine, and oysters. Brewers from around the country will descend on Duluth, Georgia on November 5th, 2022 from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. on the town green. All proceeds go to further the mission of Oyster South, supporting aquaculture in the Southeast. Tickets are just 85 bucks and include unlimited beer samples, coffee, oysters, and a barbecue plate. Get yours today before it sells out. Go to lesbon.eventbrite.com. There are some posts that have a longer shelf life on the internet than others, bits of wisdom or doses of reality that resonate when you first read them and then continue to make sense long after should they pop up again. Such is the case with a post that Alyssa Hoberer put up in late 2019, urging people not to open a brewery. That is, unless they've put in the work and knew the risks. A lot has happened in the last two years, obviously, but that post, and I'll read more about it while we're in the show, popped up on my Facebook feed last week, and it still rang true. Hoberer has also posted more bits of wisdom, as well as a look inside of the brew house at Jagged Mountain in Denver, where she's the head brewer. What's up ahead is a wide-ranging conversation that talks about beer's evolution, making strong seltzers, social media, and more. But we start with education and how the Great American Beer Festival can be more than just fun. It can also be an exchanging of ideas. Here's our conversation. I was thinking in advance of this call about how the beer world, the the U.S. beer world at least, uh, came back to Denver for the great American beer festival a few weeks ago and first time in person in a couple of years. And I know for Colorado breweries, it's always a chaotic week. Um, Oh yeah. Schedules don't matter. Uh, Everybody sort of, you know, kisses their loved ones goodbye at home and says, you know, I'll see you in 10 days. Um, (laughs) 
and and you know and it's it it's 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 a lot of fun um but there's also a lot that i think people learn on both sides uh brewers from around the country and enthusiasts from around the country come to colorado come to denver because of its enlightened beer scene because of its entrenched beer scene and you know they, they i feel like a lot of people always leave the airport um you know or hit the road home feeling inspired by what they've experienced you know, not necessarily at the convention center, but, but in the, uh, in the breweries and the tap rooms that they visited. I, I'm wondering if it, if it's a two-way street though, if for everybody who's coming through and the conversations that you have that after you get past the exhaustion of hosting a huge party, there's renewed energy. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of have mixed feelings about great American beer festival, just because like you said, it is, really exhausting for all of the, you know, brewery employees that work in Denver around that. Um, the brewery that I work at at Jagged Mountain, we're literally, I think, one of the closest breweries to the convention center. So we yeah. definitely get hit, you know, pretty hard with like a huge crowd of people, um, which can be a lot. You know, I think it's for me, it's really stressful being pretty much the only brewer. I have one like very part time assistant. So trying to prep for that is really exhausting. But the part that I love about it, that I, you know, leave that weekend feeling very, um, like I've made a ton of new friends. I think, you know, it's really interesting to see, to meet new people from around the country and to hear about their beer scene and what they're making, what the trends are in that area, um, you know, kind of these people, like what it inspires them and, you know, how they view craft beer, I think is really interesting. Um, so that, you know, there's never been a JBF that I've left without at least like a handful of new people that I'm like chatting with online or trying to plan a trip out to where they live and doing a collab and all this stuff. So, um, I think that's a, the huge positive for me is yeah. Meeting new people and also just coming together as a beer industry in, in Denver and really, you know, showing everybody what we got kind of thing. So what was your takeaway from this year then based on the conversations, based on the interactions? Um, you know, I think for, I think a lot of people are still recovering or still actively going through, um, you know, COVID and trying to find new ways of bringing in business and trying to find new ways of selling beer and figuring out, you know, what people want to drink and what people want to do. Um, I think the consensus is, is a lot of people are trying to push these like, you know, special events in their tap rooms. Or if you're a bigger brewery, I feel like a lot of people are doing, you know, packaging, um, which is luckily something that I'm not currently doing at Jagged just because we're um, really small, but um, yeah, I think, I, I think there's a lot of struggle out there, but I think there's still positivity in terms of the fact that, you know, people are actually coming into the tap room again and GBF is happening. And, you know, the, these crowds of people are actually coming together and we're able to do that. So I think there's a little bit of like obvious struggle, but still have that little bit of like, you know, maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We're still trying to figure it out. It it strikes me the, the the whole positivity thing, right? Because the last time GABF happened, um, 
or since the last time GABF happened, the, the beer industry has changed so much. Um, yeah. You know, there's been initiatives that 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 have come out to um, talk about social justice. There have been uh, real conversations and hopefully real actions on DEI. Um, you know, there's been a lot of really negative things brought to light that hopefully, you know, have brought about bits of of, of positivity. Um, I'm not asking you to speak for the for the whole industry, but you know, when you do have you know, cross sections of folks coming through your tap room, um, you know, for a big event like that. Did you notice a change in the conversation and the tones that there seemed to be, I, I don't know, more maturity than two years ago? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, you know, I've, I've been going to JBF as like a professional brewer for the past, I guess, like five or six years. Um, not obviously not counting COVID when it wasn't happening, but yeah, you know, I can definitely say when I first started going, it was a huge, like weird novelty. The fact that I was a female brewer. Um, and now it's more, I think it's more of like, I don't get <laughs> like the surprise anymore. I, I, you know, it's more, I guess, accepted, which is such a weird thing to say, or more common, I guess, or people are aware of it and, you know, wanting that kind of diversity in the industry, which I think I kind of see from a lot of people. Um, I think that, yeah, um, most, you know, people in the brewing industry are making a true effort to be more diverse and, you know, hire diverse, you know, diverse people. And I, yeah, the conversations are definitely I think more mature. I feel like a lot of people ask me questions of like, well, what should I do in this situation? And I'm like, I mean, I'm, I'm still just a brewer. You know, I can talk as much as I can about diversity and like things that you can do, but obviously I'm not, you know, a professional in that field, but yeah, it's uh, the conversations are definitely way more refreshing than they used to be. Is there a good example of one of those conversations that has, has been, rattling around in your mind since since everybody came to Denver? Um, I guess I couldn't say anything specifically, but I sure. guess I have, yeah, I have had a lot of people of like, um, you know, just random in conversation of like, you know, what, what do you think we can do to like bring more, you know, women in the industry or, you know, people of diversity or, of you know, different color and all that stuff. And I've had a lot of people ask me that just like, yeah, what are your thoughts on it? And, you know, at, I think we at Jagged Mountain have really made a true effort to, um, you know, hire diversity in our tap room in the past like year and a half. And, you know, I think it's just representation. I kind of tell people, you know, like just interview everybody you can, you know, put your, put the job posting in different places, not just, you know, the craft beer board that, you know, every guy is on kind of thing. And yeah. um, really make an effort to, you know, hire people outside of that kind of specific area. So um, I think that's mostly the question I get is people are trying to make an effort and they want to know how, which is really amazing. But most of the time, I usually just refer them to like the BA website um, with all the diversity um, panel stuff on there, which I think is really fantastic. Yeah. Um, it, it, 
it it strikes me because some of the conversations that I've been having with folks have been, you know, well, you know, we can't find folks that that want, you know, that that you know come from you know, diverse backgrounds, I guess, that are not middle-aged white guys. Um, you know, where you know, where we are. And part of it, I think some people have have said is like, well, you know, like Denver or Portland or um some of the more robust beer scenes like it's more ingrained into you know the overall life of a place as opposed to you know some other places so like it it, in some cases it's a little bit easier but then it really just kind of comes down to well then change the beer culture in your area and exactly yeah (laughs) you you can't just (laughs) wait for that to happen yeah um yeah yeah sorry i think like I think like hosting event, like specific events is a a huge draw for people. Um, Like we have like a pride event every year where we release a pride beer. And obviously that like brings in like a a different crowd. And I think just, yeah, really reaching out to like specific communities um, can really, yeah, uh, you know, start changing that whole message of craft beer that it's not just for, you know, older white guys to come sit at the bar and, and talk, you know, it's literally for everyone. How's the last two years changed you as a brewer? If at all. (laughs) Um, I I think I'm a little, a little more stressed (laughs) and by a little, I mean a lot, I feel like I'm a lot more stressed. Um, you know, I feel like before COVID hit, I had finally reached this like pinnacle in my career that I had been working so hard towards, you know, I just got the job at Jagged Mountain as the head brewer. I had, uh, I think I had almost finished my first year there and it was, I was feeling really good. I was, you know, improving as much as I can could. Our tap room was like super busy every single day. Um, and then all of a sudden COVID hit and I got furloughed and I felt like, almost like the world came crashing down around me because I had been working so hard to get to this point. Um, And then I didn't have a job. And then there was no, you know, I didn't know what the future held. I didn't know what COVID was going to do. You know, I didn't know if the service industry was dead kind of thing. Um, So I think it's made me a little bit more like resourceful in terms of not placing all of my like happiness on my job, which I have always been a really, you know, kind of a workaholic and, you know, really valued the work that I do. And so finding happiness outside of that has been really important for me. Um, And then not taking, I think for me, just not taking beer as seriously as I used to, Um, you know, getting back to the point where I'm just like enjoying the process instead of like, working so hard to do this all the time kind of thing. It's an interesting, I've heard other folks say that of, you know, not having a brewery to go into every day or uh, not mashing in or, you know, not being excited about the next release sort of freed up brain space to be like, Oh yeah, I used to enjoy hiking. I used to enjoy like all of the, you know, things outside of work. And I was a person outside of, you know, my job identity. And a lot of people use this time to discover themselves again. Um, yeah. Has, has that helped you in your return to the brew house? 
Absolutely. You know, I think, I think it, it helps me be just a generally like a happier person and not so high strung when it comes to the beer that we're serving. Like, of course, I still want, uh, you know, everything that we put out to be quality and delicious. And, uh, you know, I want our staff to like really represent that too, but I'm not so like hardcore about it anymore, I think, which is nice for me as a, you know, as a person, and I'm sure nice for everyone else around me. (laughs) In what way? Um, you know, I never, I never would say that I was like a mean person, but yeah, I think it was, I was like way more stressed pre COVID of like, just always panicking. Like if something went wrong or like, uh, you know, a, a Pilsner went out and it was a little cloudy or, you know, I would just kind of be, I would like uh, freak out a little bit. And now I'm just like, you know what? I, I just let things go a little bit easier, which is, I think a better way to be instead of super um, just on top of everything all the time, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's beer and it's not, you know, I, I take pride in my work obviously, but at the same time, I'm not going to make, I don't know. It's a, it's like a fine balance, right? I think it's not, not being too stressed about it, but then also preserving that quality and, you know, what you want to put out into the world. Let's back up a little bit. What was your career trajectory that brought you to Jagged Mountain? So I started as a home brewer. Um, I ended up doing a pro-am beer with Black Project here in Denver. Um, And that was kind of my first experience at JABF. And at the time, I was looking to change careers. Um, I was in school at the time, like thinking about becoming a nurse and then going into microbiology. And I didn't really, you know, find a whole lot of passion in either one of those. Uh, But I knew I wanted to do something with science. Um, So, you know, I I was homebrewing a lot, went to JABF, really saw the like camaraderie and how everybody supported each other. And then, yeah, pretty much after that, decided that I wanted to pursue, you know, a professional career in brewing. So I enrolled in the brewing program at Regis University. And then that was, I think, about a year long and then started at Lone Tree Brewing Company down in Lone Tree, Colorado. And I worked there for about three years and um as like a shift brewer and it was i literally learned everything i did from there i mean this you know regis was great and it kind of taught me a lot of like you know math stuff and every all the background stuff but like learning my skills really all came from lone tree and we won a few jbf awards while i was there so that was a great experience and then you know on year three i i have always been a pretty creative person and them being like a larger brewery. I wasn't able to really do my own batches kind of thing very often. Um, so I really wanted to start looking for, you know, a head, hopefully a head brewer position in a smaller craft brewery. And I got lucky. The, the first place I applied was Jagged Mountain and I went through a few interviews and eventually got the job. I like that you wanted a career in science, um, came to brewing but then are are also talking about the creative aspects of it because 
I think the two are are so important. And you know, there's a lot of folks that excel in either one way or the other. Um, but being open-minded on both sides of that is, I think, helps make better beer in general. For sure. Uh, where's your creativity leading you these days? Um, that's a great question. I feel like these days I kind of just like to brew beer. That's just highly drinkable. Um, you know, jagged We're we're kind of like a catch all. We don't really have like one specific style that we, you know, try to make all the time. We kind of make a little bit of everything, which I really like. Um, you know, we have a couple of flagship beers, but honestly, like most of our taps are usually either one-offs or beers that we make like once a year. Um, I think people, I like to follow the trends of what people like to drink in our tap room, I think. So I think a lot of people come in for our like fruited kettle sours. Um, so I've really tried to make those like highly drinkable, um, really delicious because we have just have a lot of people that come in for that. But personally, I really enjoy making lager. Um, and it's, it's funny to say that because I don't think they're like maybe super creative. I'm not like putting like in, insane ingredients or doing like this crazy process. Um, but I think I really appreciate it as a beer to not only drink, but to make. Um, so for me, it, that's the beers that I, that I look forward to brewing. What's an example that's currently in the tanks that speaks to that? Um, well, I don't know if I have one currently in the tank, but okay. we we just had well, since GABF. I you know made so many beers, and now I'm kind of you know pumping the brakes a little bit, but um, <laughs> <laughs> not I as many people a, coming through yeah. on expense accounts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we have our anniversary coming up this weekend, actually. And I have, yeah, like a hazy IPA in the tank and um, a Saison. But yeah, those are like kind of beers that I've made before. So not super pushing that creativity side, I guess. But um, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Can I ask you about a hazy IPA as an anniversary beer? Because I had the guys from the Big Friendly on. uh, They're down in Oklahoma. They were on the show last week. And they were getting ready for their anniversary and they were making a hazy uh, for it. And I've been to other breweries in the last couple of years where they've made a hazy for it and for their anniversary. And it used to be, you know, and now I'm carbon dating myself here, but, you know, (laughs) that it would be some sort of barrel aged beer or, you know, something that spent some time in the tanks or, you know, something that was an offbeat style or so. And hazies to me are, you know, the milk of you know, the, the beer world, like they're always in the fridge. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's just kind of something that we've gotten used to. And I, 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 th- this is me being super snarky now, but like, are, is it, is, is it really worth it as an anniversary beer? Like. <laughs> I will say I it's a dub it's a double hazy IPA. So Oh, it, it, oh well gonna, of course it, then. Yeah. That, <laughs> never mind. Question withdrawn. <laughs> but no, I do remember the days where it, it was like if you had an anniversary, you're releasing like a 12% barrel aged stout that had like a bunch of stuff thrown in it. 
And honestly, I kind of miss that a little bit. <laughs> so, but an anniversary beer, because, you know, we, we, as, as humans celebrate arbitrary, not arbitrary dates, but specific dates. And uh, we, we mark milestones with, with anniversaries and all of that. And we want it to feel special. How do you approach making a double hazy that is not, you know, something that would be released in the middle of June or, you know, December or, or whatever. Um, how do you make that special for an anniversary or do you? Yeah, I think I've been with our hazies. I've been trying to experiment with a few different yeasts. Um, you know, we, we always get a bunch of crazy hops, like one-off hops or, and like, you know, a box here and there of different stuff. That's like the hypey, whatever hop of the day. I'm not a huge fan of hazies. I don't drink them a lot, but I obviously <laughs> I have to make them a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, I think they're actually for me, like a pretty complicated beer to make, to make good. You know, I'm always looking for something with hazies that's like in between drinkable, but still has that incredible hop character. And like always asking everybody that does like, you know, the big breweries that do all the that are super popular for hazy beers, like what their method is. And honestly, like everybody has a different way of doing it, which is pretty interesting. But um, for me, I've been experimenting with a lot of different yeasts. So this time we used a, a Kavik strain that we've used once before, which I, I never know if that's how you pronounce it or not, but that's just what that's, I go that's with fine. now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's I I've, I've, I've given up. It's unless you are of Norwegian descent, um, you're never going to pronounce it properly. None of us are. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just, I've just given up and you know, Kvik, Kvik, uh, yeah. Everybody yeah, knows, like everybody I, knows what you're talking. Exactly. I say Kvik and, and people get yeah. it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we've been experimenting with that a little bit and um, it's been really awesome because it's a, you know, super fast fermentation, obviously, and um, the strain that we get is from Inland Island, which is a local yeast company. Um, and it's called, I think, like Tropic Express or something like that. And so it obviously like really pushes those like fruity esters. Um, and, you know, in combination with the dry hop, you just get a huge fruit bomb, um, which is what the people want. So that's what I've been trying to do. Give the people what they want. I exactly. I, I know. I I I dig that. And yeah, I I've been. I'm going to contradict myself here because I was sort of doing that anniversary thing on the fly as you were as you were saying it. But like, I guess a, a lot of time anniversary beers have been what's been popular in larger beer. Like when I think about those twelve percent stouts, you know, those were kind of rarities, but still really well sought after. And I guess they still are, but um, they kind of had the zeitgeist at the time that Hazy IPA currently enjoys. Yeah. So it's really just anniversary beers as you know, a, a, a marker in time, actually, I guess, for, for, for breweries. Um, yeah, that's okay. an interesting way to put it, but um, yeah. I'm I'm still kind of fleshing this out of my brain as I'm as I'm as I'm saying it, which is the problem of doing a <laughs> podcast like this that I didn't come in with you know notes of you know let me shit all over everybody's anniversary beers and then immediately go no you guys are just kind of keeping up with the times it's not like fifth anniversary is um, although we should probably start something 
where it's like wedding anniversaries where, you know, year one is paper and year two is, I, I forget at that point, there should be a universal brewery anniversary, you know, list. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I would love that. I'd be like, yeah. all right, it's year nine, but now we make a, a grew it. Yeah. Year nine. Yeah. Is grew it. Um, <laughs> I'd be totally cool with that. <laughs> okay. We'll have to get on that. We'll get the, we'll convene the beer council to, uh, uh, to start blue ribbon panel to start putting together a, uh, a pretty serious list. Um, I like that you were talking about that. Hazies are hard to make um, uh, because I think there are some folks who are like, yeah, it's idiot proof. And those beers kind of don't stand up to the ones where the brewers have put in a lot of thought on ingredients and and process and 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 the long-term uh growth of the overall category um and with that amount i wanted to jump back because i i asked you where your creativity was leading you these days um where is your scientific side leading you these days you know you're a scientist by trade you're interested in, in in that so like where where is that part of your your brewer brain urging you to go i mean definitely with the hazy ipas I think that, you know, <laughs> it's like a love hate thing, right? Like I love like reading about stuff like that and, you know, knowing what biotransformation is and having all these elements come into this one beer and having the timing just right. And these ingredients and the mash just right to make this perfectly hazy, fruity beer. Um, so I think that is kind of, where I find interest in the science side, I think it's more frustrating for me because I feel like I also um, have struggled to make a consistent one. And I think mostly that's just because I changed the hops up so much. Like we don't really have a hazy that I'm like baking every single month. Um, that's exactly the same. So I think that's the frustrating part is I haven't, you know, been able to get like quite the consistency that I want. Um, but the experimentation behind it has been a lot of fun and, you know, no, just knowing all the science and talking to other brewers who, you know, make a lot of hazy IPAs. Like I'm good friends with one of the brewers at, um, our mutual friend, and obviously they make hazy IPA all the time. Yes. And so it's like, you know, bouncing ideas off of him and, um, uh, being able to talk through all these things is, is really interesting. And also, I would say probably pushes my creative side too. Um, I just don't, I don't know if I enjoy it as much as I do like making lager though, because I'm not as good at it. <laughs> Is that something you want to pursue though? Oh, I mean, yeah, I want to be good at okay. everything. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> Is there lager aside is there a style that has vexed you that has you know like over the years you've taken stabs at it but that you just haven't gotten it to where you wanted that you keep coming back to yeah honestly i'm really not that great at making um <laughs> like we were just talking about really high abv imperial stouts that have like a bunch of adjuncts and stuff in it just because i think it's Mostly because I'm a really, I'm, I know that I'm good at making lower ABV, really drinkable beer. But when it comes to, yeah, these like really high ABV, like your 
you're throwing lactose and you're throwing marshmallows and like all this stuff in it. That's when I get kind of lost. And then I just never quite like hit the mark. Like it's, it's always good, but it's not like, it's not like the good, good ones, you know? So I think that's kind of, um, you know, where I lose my groove a little bit, but luckily I guess, like we were just saying, it's not really a super trendy thing anymore. Um, but I would like to push that a little bit more in the future for myself, probably this winter, obviously, but, um, yeah, we'll see more in a moment, but first a message from this episode's sponsors, New Holland Brewing. Did you know that the term dragon's milk has been around since the 17th century? It was used to describe potent ales and elixirs that were worthy of celebration, a reward at the end of a hero's journey. New Holland Brewing Company is proud to continue that tradition today with Dragon's Milk Bourbon Barrel Aged Stout, clocking in at a robust 11% ABV and featuring notes of roasted malt, chocolate, and vanilla. The Legends of Dragon's Milk continues to grow, and we'll raise a glass to that. You can learn more and find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. And we're also brought to you by Les Bon, a celebration of Cezanne, mixed fermentation beer, ciders, natural wines, and oysters. Brewers from around the country will descend on Duluth, Georgia on November 5th, 2022, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. on the town green. All proceeds go to further the mission of Oyster South, supporting aquaculture in the Southeast. Tickets are 85 bucks and include unlimited beer samples, coffee, oysters, and a barbecue plate. Get yours today before it sells out by going to lesbon.eventbrite.com. So I reached out to you, I guess, last week because uh, there is what I love about social media sometimes is these fun little posts that go up that get people to think, uh, get screenshot, they get shared around. Uh, it causes a stir for a conversation for a little bit and then uh, largely gets forgotten. And then somebody finds it again and they reshare it and the conversation restarts. And ter <clears throat> excuse me, Terry Ferendorf of the Pink Boot Society found a post of yours from October of 19, which again, we've been time traveling back to you know these two years ago where the world was such a different place. And you had this great post um, where you were urging people to not open a brewery. Yeah. And yeah. in 2019, there were rumblings on the horizon, not of COVID, but of, you know, impending wary among the brewing industry where uh, people were thinking about closing and people were seeing how tough the competition was, uh, how seltzer was eating into things. Um, and just that, you know, the idea of, you know, 2017 of, hey, everybody go open a brewery. Um, was kind of fading a little bit and you put it in really great terms, you know, and it's, you can have a business plan, you can have a name, you can have a location. Um, but that isn't always the smartest thing to, 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 to do. Um, and then if you do, you know, obviously, you know, have experience and, um, you know, understand the, 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 the business and making sure that you're hiring people, uh, that are qualified for it and having these realistic goals. Um, one, what prompted you to do that post back in 19, if you can remember? Um, and two, how are you feeling about that sentiment today? Yeah, um, that that post really aged well, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it really did. It really did. I was like, oh, wow. Did I predict the future? Um, <laughs> no. Do it again. Do it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. You know, it's kind of depressing what brought it on. Um, it, you know, my, me and my ex, you know, we moved to Denver together. We started to getting, get into craft beer. We, I went to school. I started becoming a brewer. And that whole time we had kind of had this dream of obviously opening a brewery. Um, and that started when I started homebrewing. Um, and we had, you know, a name for a place. We had, you know, ideas of where the location was going to be. We had, we had all these dreams, right? And then once I started working as a professional brewer, that dream kind of faded for me just because I, I realized how difficult that was. I realized how much I didn't know. And I realized how much I was totally underqualified to own a business at all. Um, and even us together, you know, I, I did not think that we would be able to do it. Um, I think we would be able to do it. I think it was more of like, would we be able to do it well? Um, and it, yeah, the, the longer I worked in the craft beer industry, the, the more I was like, no, I, I definitely don't want to do that. That sounds incredibly stressful. You literally have to dedicate your whole life, your money, your time, everything to this business. And, you know, I'm a person that likes to have, I like to travel and I like to do things outside of work. So for me, that started fading a lot. And I think for him, he really pushed for that. Um, you know, obviously we're not together anymore. So that was kind of, you know, a little rift in our relationship, but that's kind of what brought on that post is that, you know, I had been thinking about it a lot. I've been talking to him about it a lot and, you know, realizing that, yeah, this is not realistic. And, you know, coming from the position of a home brewer, I know a lot of people dream of that one day, like, you know, that's why they do it, right? That's why they make these beers at home because they have a boring job, a boring day job, and they dream of doing something that they love. And not to say that you, that people who have started as a home brewer and started a brewery aren't, you know, doing great these days, but the, the trend is, is that, you know, if you're a home brewer and you open a brewery, sometimes it does, it's, you know, not that great, um, whether it's from the beer or how you run the business or, you know, the people that you hire or training, um, you know, any of those things that you said. Um, so that's what brought that along. And then I forgot, sorry, I forgot what the second question was. <laughs> um, well, what brought it on and, and where does it stand for you today? Oh, today, I think it's definitely, yeah, pretty much the same, you know, um, I think for me personally, I, I feel like I think about it a little bit more just because I I'm getting older and I think that I would have to partner with people that would know how to run a business because I may maybe know more than I did, you know, back then, but I definitely don't know enough. Um, but I think, yeah, it still stands the same, you know, and, it, and it's especially, I think even harder nowadays, just because the competition is so fierce and not as many people are drinking beer. Um, not as many people are coming out. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you start a brewery and you don't know what you're doing, people are going to immediately see that and go down the road to a, a brewery that's been open, you know, for six or seven years and they've got it figured out. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, competition and that it, it's kind of cutthroat and yeah, it's, it's, I hate to kill people's dreams, but no, I mean, sometimes you probably should. <laughs> no. And, and I, I, I agree with you. Um, 
on that. I mean, it's one of those things, um, you know, following the recession of of, uh, 2008, we saw a a huge glut of breweries opening and um, some have been great and others have just kind of been middling along. And as you get into, you know, whatever we're headed into economically, um, you know, if history repeats itself in a couple of years, we'll start to see, um, yeah, hopefully everything rebound and, and, and places open up again or, or, or open up for the first time. And I think that, you know, the lessons of the last decade, um, are going to be important for uh, that next generation of brewers to really pay attention to. And everything that you just cited, um, is so important. Um, so I hope people hear that and, and listen to it. Yeah. Um, so this post on uh, that Terry shared um, is just one of many thousands of posts that you have done um, on social media, of which you were very good at social media. Um, <laughs> as, as, as somebody who is not good at social media, um, one, you know, what goes into creating a good post? Um, you know, two, um, is there like a social media persona versus, you know, yourself? Like I, I, you know, I, I know some, you know, brands try to, you know, be edgy or some brands try to be serious when they're, you know, when they're really not, um, you know, there's some people who just like to, you know, you know, project, uh, you know, a false sense of things. Um, I, I, I get the sense that what you post is very much just you. Yeah, definitely. I've definitely made a true effort to do that. Um, I I think it's funny when people say that I'm good at social media because I really don't feel like I am. <laughs> I, I also feel don't like know it's... if I know what that means. To be honest yeah. with you, like I'm just I, I I enjoy seeing your posts. Like I think they're they're yeah. fun. They're engaging. Um, you know, and again, like that Terry post, like it gets me thinking of like, oh, like there's real conversations that are happening out there in the world. That's not just you know, Hey, look at me. I'm checking into untapped drinking another beer or, you know, Hey, it's me. And I'm, you know, off to, you know, the great American beer festival or something. And there's no real context. You, you write with context or post. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think mostly for me, a lot of these posts are based around either conversations that I've had with other people or just like random thoughts that I've thought about, like the industry or like with brewing or anything like that. Um, and things that I just find interesting to think about. And obviously other people like to think about it too. So, um, yeah, a conversation starter, I think is, is always a good point. Um, you know, Instagram has changed over the years since I've been quote unquote, like a influencer. Um, and so I think that has been pretty difficult for me because, it, you know, in the past, I always just did the picture with a thoughtful, a thoughtful blurb on the bottom, and that would be super successful. But now, um, you know, it's more of a video content thing, and I have really struggled with that of trying to do something interesting that is also that Instagram algorithm is going to enjoy too, um, and it feels less less uh authentic to me when i try to do videos i guess um because i'm yeah i'm not getting that like message out there as much um and so yeah i think that it's been interesting it's social media is one of those things that occupies 
way too much of my brain <laughs> just because like I said, I try to be good at everything and social media constantly makes me feel like I'm not good. I mean that I, I, I know that's sort of the nature of it, but that's so disheartening to hear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a up and down kind of thing. Sometimes I, you know, post on there and I feel really good about the content that I'm sharing. And then other times I'm like, Oh, I just got to do, you know, one post this week and I just, you know, record a couple of things and slap it on there. And then, you know, don't pay attention to it for a couple of weeks and come back to it again and, you know, reignite that, I guess, you know, interest. Um, but ultimately I do it, I think at the end of the day, because I get, um, you know, a lot of people who are a lot of, especially women who are inspired to become brewers, which is, you know, ultimately why I did it anyway. And that, and that sort of goes back to what we were talking about at the, at the top of the show of just trying to you know, reach out to people in different ways. Um, and this, it obviously seems to be working, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I've definitely had a few people, you know, message me of, of literally saying like, I hope you know that I got into the beer industry because of you. Like I went to brewing school because of you kind of thing. And that, is so incredibly rewarding um, because I think rep representation is extremely important. Um, and I kind of saw that, you know, that missing piece in the beer industry when I first started seven years ago is that, yeah, that this really wasn't like a very common thing to have a female brewer and, um, you know, realizing that this could be like a successful Instagram page, if I kind of shared my journey and kind of represented that very small part of the beer industry and tried to fight for more of that diversity. There's this old adage of, you know, don't ask the question that you don't want uh, the answer to kind of thing. Um, and I know we've been talking largely about positivity. Um, are there shitheads that are sliding into DMs? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I have curated an atmosphere on my Instagram page where I don't really get that as much as other like beer influencers that I've talked to. Um, I think mostly, you know, uh, a lot of guys just on my page just want to have that like conversation um, or they want somebody to talk to. Um, and I'm like really intolerant to, you know, inappropriate messages. I'll either call people out or I'll just immediately block them. So I think I don't get that as much as I used to, especially. I, That's um, good. Most, yeah, it's really nice. I know I get, I get that question a lot, actually, like, oh, I bet you get like so many like weird DMs. I mean, every once in a while I have the guy who's like, I don't know, like, oh, I didn't know women could brew kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, those just like, little shitty comments where it's like not overtly like sexist or in your face, but it's like just enough to piss you off. <laughs> yeah. Are the ones that kind of get me most of the time because then I'm like, th these people actually like think this way, you know, it's not like you're not trying to obviously like make me mad. I think it's just like, yeah, that's just how they think. And so that's always like kind of shocking to me, but 
I try to calm down and I come back to the message and I answer it in like, you know, an appropriate way because at the end of the day, I'm here to like, I guess, you know, educate people and kind of move, move forward with things, not fight with people. So that's no, kind that's, of the stance that I've taken. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I asked, I, so I used to do hard news and like, you know, like newspapers and you know, broadcasts and things like that. And, you know, I had friends who were on air, you know, reporters and stuff and you know they'd always you know if we'd be hanging out like they'd open up their dms just to sort of show just like just how creepy a lot of the television viewers were and things and it was always like oh it's just you know and it's you know the other middle-aged white guys that we're all sitting around we're like we don't get messages like that like this is of course yeah yeah like (laughs) like you know it's, it's apparently our contemporaries that are sending these types of messages like which is also gross in its own way but um yeah yeah. Um, you had a post recently uh, that I enjoyed because you were talking about seltzer and you I think you said something along the lines of like, love it or hate it. It's, it's, it's here to stay. Um, and I get that these days. Like, you know, I was one of those people early on where I was like, you know, this is ridiculous. Why do we have this kind of thing? And now I'm drinking them and uh, tasting them and I don't always prefer them. Um, but yeah. I can understand why people like them. And I can also appreciate that breweries are making them to bring customers in the door to continue to keep the lights on and to pay people and to, um, you know, that things evolve. Um, what do you enjoy about making seltzers as a brewer? Um, I enjoy that it's so easy. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of yeast nutrients. So easy. Keep the yeast happy. And yeah. Exactly. As long as you have these very specific things that are pretty crucial to making a seltzer, it's literally like a two hour brew day, if that. (laughs) So yeah, it's super easy. It's super easy. And it's cheap, obviously. And it's a moneymaker. And I personally have come, kind of like you, like, have come to actually like seltzer more than I used to. Um, it's like kind of my go-to like concert drink now, just because if it gets warm, it still tastes good. Um, you know, there's a lot of benefits with seltzer. I think I am a little scared of like the future generation, obviously only drinking seltzer and beer kind of falling by the wayside is kind of terrifying to me, Yeah, but you know, I've always been a person who accepts trends. I feel like people also said this about hazy IPA in the beginning of like, oh, it's just a fad. Like, you know, it's going to, it's going to go away. And we're here we are like seven, eight years later and it's still around. So, so what you're saying is that seltzer is going to be your anniversary beer next year. <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> so we, <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous. I, um, <laughs> like a year ago when I first started making seltzer, I, may have accidentally made a 10% ABV seltzer. <laughs> accidentally. I mean, that's, that's, the standard, that's the standard <laughs> recipe for most people. And then they're cutting it down by half, but yeah. Yeah. I was aiming to go for like a solid 5%, you know, and uh, apparently <laughs> glucose and sucrose are very different. <laughs> <laughs> And I, All right. yeah, you, did. you missed that day of science class. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. Well, I think it was like, I was they like, weren't oh, teaching whatever. that at, yeah, advanced <laughs> seltzer dynamics at Regis. Um, <laughs> I was like, whatever, it's just a seltzer. I'm just, you, all you had to do is put sugar and water and some yeast nutrient, and you're good to go. Like, I just don't think I cared about it as much. Yeah. 
And then I, I was knocking out and I was like, <laughs> you know, it took the gravity and I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> I think I just made a 10% seltzer and I even went to the bar to our regulars and I was like, um, if I made a 10% seltzer, would you guys drink it? Then, <laughs> and it's actually been really popular. So you so still continue I, to make this to this day, your so 10%. It, yeah. Nice. So the, the video that I shared on Instagram, uh, well, yeah, it was us making a 10% seltzer because people love it so much. And it's <laughs> nice because we've, uh, we have carbonated water on tap now, so we can sure. cut it, you know? So it's like, if you don't want to do the 10%, we have a way to like kind of dilute it a little bit, which is really nice. But um, yeah, that it's been, it's been interesting. So I think there is ways to, you know, make seltzer a little bit more fun. Um, I think the, I don't know if you've tried Smooge from Holmes Brewery up in um, I've seen Michigan. It, I've, I've seen it on social media. I, I, I have, yeah. I've yet to have the, uh, uh, the experience. Yeah. Yeah. So I took a, took a trip up to Michigan this, this past year and had it for the first time. And I was like, how did they make this? Um, so I think that it's, there it's are a, ways. It's a smoothie, right? Yeah. So they, I think they just put a shit ton of fruit in it. Um, okay. I think they might, I'm sure they pasteurize it. I don't see why they wouldn't, but, or how they could get away with not <laughs> doing that, but hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Temperature goes above 71 and all of a sudden it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have a bomb in your hand, but yeah. Um, yeah. It, that kind of like stoked my interest for seltzers, I think. And, and I think that's like a huge moneymaker for them too, you know? Um, so I think there are ways that you can be creative with that sort of thing. Um, I've seen like a couple of like hard teas out there, which I also find really interesting. Yeah. I'm intrigued by those these days as well. Yeah. So I, th I think it's, you know, brewers always have this like kind of thing when like new stuff comes out that everybody's like, I hate it. Um, and I don't want to do it and it's just a fad and it's going to go away. And then, you know, obviously it doesn't go away and then we get over ourselves and then we have to figure out ways to like make this fun and interesting and creative and kind of in line with what we're doing with beer, you know? Um, the thing that I've been thinking about with seltzer recently though, is some of the parallels to early craft of, you know, you had three big players and then all these other little upstarts came around and sort of changed the nature of everything. And these days there are three very large national brands that control at least the dollars. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and a lot of the, you know, the popularity of, of the segment. Um, but to be a small seltzer maker, I imagine has to have some freedoms where you, know, you can make things that taste, you know, the way that you want them to, or, uh, you know, that haven't been focus grouped to death or that, um, can convey a sense of place, um, or just sort of have that specialness to it of just being available in the tap room. Um, it, it, have you experienced any of that in, in making these that, you know, your seltzer isn't going to take on you know, white claw, but it can have an impact locally. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have always been a person that really likes to work with fruit. Um, I like, I like to eat fruit. I, I just like fruited beers. That's just who I am. Um, and I think the seltzer is uh, incredible at showcasing interesting fruit. Um, 
you know, we're, so the one that I just brewed, we're going to do like a cranberry, cranberry orange kind of flavor. So a little, a little Thanksgiving um, taste of Thanksgiving. Exactly. Yeah. For yeah. Fall and winter. I feel like that's oh, sure. pretty good. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I think with the, you know, with the big brands, you like get the strawberry flavor and you have the lime and you, you know, you have these like kind of all encompassing, like everybody, all these big seltzer brands have these very specific flavors. Um, but I think with, yeah, small craft breweries or seltzeries, um, you can really push that creativity of using these type of, you know, fruits or flavorings or, you know, additions because it's literally water, you know, for the base. So you're really showcasing like that fruit or that flavor, um, which I really enjoy. I've been asking folks on the show for a while now, the green door question. Uh, which is there's a television show called The Good Place. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. Um, uh, I don't think so. Okay. So in the final season of The Good Place, uh, they introduce a concept of the green door. And you can walk through this door and be anywhere uh, at any point in time uh, with you know doing whatever you want to be doing. So if there was a green door on our plane of existence and this conversation was over and you could walk through it, and go to any pub or any brewery uh, anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? Oh, that's a great, great question. Um, I think one of my favorite experiences in the past has been when I went to Japan. I guess this was 2018, maybe, maybe 2019. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, the, the craft beer industry is, is rough over there. Like there it's few and far between just cause their taxes are insane. Um, but I did end up making it to this brewery, um, called Kyoto Brewing Company. Um, and it, it's, it was super interesting because the owners, it was like an Australian guy, a British guy, an American, and I think a Japanese guy all came to, they were all friends, like somehow met in college or something. And then all moved to Japan and decided to open this brewery. Um, so I had like gotten off the train, walked probably like three miles to get to this place because the taxis are kind of expensive there. Um, and yeah, just like kind of came into this like little Japanese like brewery haven kind of thing. And they were using really interesting like local ingredients uh, or like ingredients that are familiar with Japan, like matcha and you know, they were doing like mochi stuff and like some really cool stuff. And I enjoy those flavors. And so that was probably like one of my favorite like brewery experiences was just sitting out on their little, you know, little patio. I think I was drinking like a matcha IPA. Um, I was with my ex at the time and, you know, we're still really good friends. So I could probably go back to that and, um, you know, share a beer and, um, talk to the brewers. We did a little tour of the brew house, which was really cool. It was exceptionally clean, like probably the, the cleanest brewery I've ever seen in my life. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, I was like shocked how clean it was. I was, and I feel like, you know, the Japanese culture is kind of like that. Like just yes. everything is I mean, super tracks, immaculate. Yeah. 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 But it was like, I walked in the brewery and I was like, oh my God, how much time do you guys spend cleaning? Because this place is spotless. Like everything had its little place and I don't know. It was just, uh, it was just an experience. It was, um, really interesting, you know, to be 
halfway across the world and in a totally different country with totally different flavors and um you know coming back to craft beer it i've always said has been kind of like a universal language you know like i can i can share a craft beer with anybody and especially when they feature ingredients that are familiar with the place i i really enjoy so that would probably be yeah my green door moment nice thanks for being on the show this week i appreciate the the insight and the yeah just the conversation in general thanks for thanks for making the time yeah I've, yeah this has been a great conversation and i've also had a really great time Alyssa, by the way, is on Instagram at Southern Beer Girl, and I highly suggest giving her account to follow. Who in the beer space is doing cool social media things? Let me know by emailing John Hall. It's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com or tell me about it on Twitter. Yeah, social media at John underscore Hall. All About Beer is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just follow along at All About Beer. And of course, with the social media theme, This Week in Rauk Beer is also online. The Facebook group is easy to search. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's at TW Rauk Beer. We are able to bring you this show each week. Thanks to the companies that support independent journalism in the beer space. If you'd like to learn more about our surprisingly affordable rates, please reach out to info at allaboutbeer.com. Speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by New Holland Brewing. Did you know that the term dragon's milk has been around since the 17th century? It was used to describe potent ales and elixirs that were worthy of celebration, a reward at the end of a hero's journey. New Holland Brewing Company is proud to continue that tradition today with dragon's milk bourbon barrel aged stout, clocking in at a robust 11% ABV and featuring notes of roasted malt, chocolate, and vanilla. The legend of Dragon's Milk continues to grow and will raise a glass to that. Learn more and find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. This episode is also brought to you by Les Bon, a celebration of Cezanne, mixed fermentation beer, ciders, natural wine, and oysters. Brewers from around the country will descend on Duluth, Georgia on November 5th, 2022 from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. on the town green. All proceeds go to further the mission of Oyster South, supporting aquaculture in the Southeast. Tickets are just $85 and include unlimited beer samples, coffee, oysters, and a barbecue plate. Get yours today before it sells out at lesbon.eventbrite.com. And finally, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe All About Beer on your podcast platform of choice. There you can listen to Beer Travelers, the Brewer to Brewer podcast, and the All About Beer podcast. As always, Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And don't forget to go visit allaboutbeer.com. As for this show, Nate Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>